This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the legislature today, I'm Randy Yoey. Senate President Craig Blair took his seat on the Senate floor today while Senate Majority Leader Tom Takubo handled the president's duties. Blair introduced a resolution and wanted to speak to it. He noted that West Virginia is an all-of-the-above energy state and he acknowledged the need for a regulatory environment that encouraged energy production. His resolution calls on the state's congressional delegation to reform the federal permitting process. The federal government's permitting process is a system of unnecessarily complex, redundant, and uncertain, thereby discouraging investment and job creation in the energy sector. Delays caused by these permitting inefficiencies inhibit the essential components, low-cost, and modern energy that are needed to support the economic competitiveness and also threaten domestic exports towards national security. Failure to reform the federal permit, permitting laws is already resulting in fewer jobs, reduced security, and higher prices for Americans without providing additional benefits for the environment and making the United States less competitive. Blair noted that he is chairman of the Council of State Government's Southern Office, as well as the Southern Legislative Conference. He said he expects the remaining 14 states in the Southern Group of States to present similar resolutions. With CSG South SLC, we're attempting to take and send a clear message to the federal government that you, the federal government exists for the purposes of the states. The states do not exist for the purpose of the federal government. This resolution gives us that flexibility. Senate Concurrent Resolution 16 passed the Senate unanimously and heads to the House of Delegates. Now, resolutions are not binding. Monday was Child Advocacy Day at the Capitol, bringing together child welfare advocates to provide resources and educate the public. Emily Rice has the story. The Senate passed a resolution making Monday Child Advocacy Day at the legislature. Special guests from the West Virginia Child Advocacy Network, or WVCAN, were set up outside the Senate chambers to spread their message. Kate Flack is the CEO of WVCAN. She said the group was at the Capitol to celebrate the work of local child advocacy centers and their multidisciplinary teams in the past year, and to urge the lawmakers to continue to support services to child survivors of abuse. Every year, we want to make sure that kids are as safe as possible, so that we have laws that keep them safe, that make sure that those who perpetrate child abuse are held accountable. Um, we also make sure that the folks who are doing the hard work of supporting children in their healing journey are supported financially, um, that CPS has support, that law enforcement has support, that prosecuting attorneys have support, and that kids have access to mental health services and medical services. 
According to Flack, in the last year, 4,879 new children were served by WVCAN's 21 child advocacy centers. A child advocacy center is a child-friendly facility where treatment professionals and investigative professionals work together to hold offenders accountable and help kids heal. Um, so that includes law enforcement, CPS, prosecuting attorneys, mental health providers, medical providers, our forensic interviewers and family advocates at the child advocacy centers. We meet monthly with each of those multidisciplinary investigative teams to coordinate on case outcomes to make sure that kids um, can heal and offenders are held accountable. WV Can serves 46 of West Virginia's 55 counties. We're really proud of the work that's being done. More than 10% increase um, in kids served in the last five years. Um, we know the services are no less needed now than they were before. Flack said WV Can is expanding its mental health services through support from the Highmark Foundation. We're looking to expand those services even further because we know that kids who have trauma histories do so much better when they get the type of support and medical and mental health support that they need. A recent study of WVCAN's services found that West Virginia children are 4.7 times more likely to encounter drug endangerment than the national average. Child advocacy centers really help communities thrive. Um, they are restoring the fabric of our society. One in 10 kids will be sexually abused by their 18th birthday, so this is not a small problem. We need all hands on deck to support these children, um, and so we are hopeful that the legislature will continue to do so. For the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. The House advanced a bill today that would help those with dementia and their families in case of an emergency often called a walk away. The House Judiciary Committee returned House Bill 4190 to the floor with a recommendation that it pass. The bill establishes an alert system for missing cognitively impaired persons called a purple alert. It provides for the use of video image recording devices for search purposes during a purple alert, provides for notice and broadcasting of a purple alert, and immunity for individuals providing information for a purple alert in good faith. Today was also EMS Day at the Capitol, and several delegates stood to recognize EMS workers from their respective counties. West Virginia's EMS Coalition is lobbying lawmakers for $15 million to fund new state-of-the-art ambulances, $10 million for salary enhancement, and expanding efforts to address first responder mental health. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. There were speeches and other activities like ringing the state bell after a quick march from the Culture Center to the Capitol. This is an annual event. Bob Brunner brings us his look at it today. Before the march, there was a ceremony inside the Great Hall of the West Virginia Culture Center where Dr. Alicia Lewis from West Virginia State University, who is the head of the education department, concluded her talk with a remembrance of the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. May we be the bearers of that light and love, committed to creating a cultural climate where justice and equality can flourish. We do this to pursue that memory and to make sure his principles are brought forth. The best thing I can tell you is that it creates a sense of optimism, which gives us an open door to speak with people more about his principles and how he lived his life. For the legislature today, I'm Bob Brunner reporting. Earlier today, I sat down with House Speaker Roger Hanshaw to discuss his plans for the upcoming session. Here's that discussion. 
And we are here in the capital rotunda on a cold and snowy Martin Luther King Day. Inside it's warm, a little bit echoey in here, but it's a pleasure to have the Speaker of the House of Delegates, the Honorable Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County. Uh, Mr. Speaker, it's always good to have you here. Good to be back, Randy. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Let's start out with a buzzword, I think, from 2023, which is artificial intelligence. And it's even stronger as we see these commercials, especially the one with Matthew McConaughey, uh, which we're still trying to figure out. You have developed in the House a special select committee, excuse me, on artificial intelligence. I talked to Delegate Maynard a bit, your co-chair this morning, but tell me the whole philosophy behind setting up this committee and, and what you hope to accomplish. Well, the goal is to get out in front of that issue, Randy. It, it's, it's going to be transformative. It, it's, it's one of these issues that seems to have come on the scene at a pace that, that most of the world wasn't predicting. It's, it's been one of those things that's been in development for decades now. We've all called automated hotlines for, for a decade now and, and on the other end of the phone's been a robot or has been a computer. That was a, that was a form of artificial intelligence in its evolutionary stages. Fast forward a year till, till we reach, to reach chat GPT and generative yeah. artificial intelligence now. And, and we in the House want to get out in front of this topic. We want to be at the leading edge of it and ask questions like, how do we prepare the state of West Virginia's public education system to capitalize on artificial intelligence? How do we use artificial intelligence tools to provide services to West Virginians? Can we, can we speed up the process of renewing someone's vehicle registration using AI tools? And the, the select committee we created last Wednesday is designed to do that. They're designed to be exploratory. Their charge is to just ask big questions, to ask open-ended questions, to bring experts here to the Capitol during the course of this 60-day session and perhaps thereafter, and just, just ask the big question, how do we capitalize on this growing and evolving area of technology? You know, John Chambers, who is a, a, a storied West Virginian, chair, chairman and CEO of Cisco, and really took that company from, from a sleepy little IT company to one of the most valuable companies in the world. John said in an interview recently that he believed the impact of artificial intelligence on the world would exceed and surpass the overall impact of the internet on the world. Now think about that for a minute. Wow. Think about how many ways the internet impacts our lives every single day. John, who is an expert in the field, by any measure, has predicted that the, the tools of AI will surpass even, even the impact of the internet. We need to be at the front of that. This is an eye-opening uh, thought because most people when they hear about artificial, in artificial intelligence have a negative connotation but you just listed off five positives and I, th I don't think that the regular general public has that concept. Well that's that's one of the charges of the committee is to look for positive ways to implement this technology. We know it's going to be disruptive. It's already been disruptive. The question is, can we can we use that disruption in a way that's 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 productive? Uh, Pre President Smith at Marshall University is 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 often often heard to say, change will either happen through you or happen to you, <laughs> and we want it to happen through us. Makes good sense. Let's stick with technology and talk about cybersecurity. I know that you're a big fan of the 47 million dollar center for cyber cybersecurity that's being set up at Marshall University. I sure am. And during the look ahead you talked about advocating a piece of legislation from the House this year that relates to consumer privacy, data privacy, cybersecurity protocols for private businesses. So talk about how that 
cybersecurity enhancement might come about. This is important, Randy. This has grown directly out of our Choose West Virginia initiative. Uh, our, our most recent stop on that tour was a two-day visit to the offices of Amazon Web Services and Microsoft in Seattle. And on that visit, we heard two of the world's leading IT companies talk to us about the importance of putting in place Protect, data protection protocols and cybersecurity protocols to make sure that the, 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 the reams and volumes and tomes of data that we generate here in the course of the daily business of running state government are protected. And we, we, see, we see example after example around the world of companies held hostage by ransomware, of, 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 of healthcare facilities, of schools, of universities, of, of businesses that are locked down and forced to pay ransom to, to nefarious actors around the world. We want to make sure that we're, again, doing what we can do as a state government to, number one, protect our own data, protect ourselves, protect the data that we're charged with, with controlling here, but also to make sure that West Virginians are protecting themselves and that the business owners here in West Virginia, those who operate in our state, are, are incented to, to deploy cybersecurity protections and cyber cybersecurity data protection tools. Our Committee on Technology and Infrastructure will almost certainly be working on that perhaps as early as next week. Let's do a third arm of technology because I don't think everybody still understands what LG is going to be at doing at Marshall and in Morgantown. Is it, is it really, is it a think tank that we're talking about here that, that's going to springboard on, on ideas and technology for the future? This is a great one, Randy. So the, the LG investment here, the $700 million that LG announced two weeks ago that they would invest here in West Virginia, really represents the, the completion of the circle. So we've, come, we, we've, we've completed the circle now in our transition to a true 21st century economy. So rather than just recruiting manufacturing to West Virginia, rather than just recruiting companies right. and organizations that will utilize natural resources in downstream manufacturing, all of which are important and all of which we want to see more of. LG is a technology company. LG is, is an innovation engine. They, they, they effectively are to the world in the 21st century what GE was to the world in the 20th century. They're, they're a monolithic global conglomerate. And their investment here in West Virginia is going to take a number of forms. Number one, they're going to have a manufacturing component. So they will be manufacturing electronic devices here in West Virginia. LG makes okay. the television hanging right. in my office. They make the TVs my in home. my home. Right. They're, they're a, a, house, a true household name, but they're also a global research powerhouse. And that's, that's the piece of the LG investment here that really is of interest to me. So LG's committed that part of their investment here will be a research center employing, employing dozens, if not hundreds, of scientists and engineers at six-figure salaries right here in West Virginia in partnership with our two major universities. This is is a big deal. We can't underscore enough the importance of this one for our overall progress on economic development. You and I have talked in the past about economic development and, and we've talked in the past about finding good flat land. We've talked about making sure that the basic infrastructure, mm -hmm. water and sewer and such is there. Uh, and now we've talked about renewable energy and what corporations or companies that want to come in or be retained. Uh, what's the next step here in 2024? I know that you think ahead when it comes to 
bringing in more good economic development and making sure there are workers for the jobs. What's the plan? Oh, lot, lots of things wrapped up in that question, Randy. So uh, let's let's take <laughs> right, the let's, let's take the energy down. component first. Right. So we we do know that so many of the companies that have expressed interest in coming to West Virginia now are are doing so with with an indication of interest that they would like to decarbonize or they would like right. to minimize their carbon footprint. Sometimes that's driven by their shareholders. Sometimes it's driven by their their corporate leadership outside of West Virginia. For whatever reason, that's a priority for a lot of the people right. who are looking at our state. To that, we say, great. We want we want investments here of, of any sort. We also want investments here by people who just simply want cheap power. So if you want to come here with a manufacturing facility, our natural resource-based fossil-fired energy is some of the cheapest in the world. So we, we want investments of all kinds. But in order to satisfy both, we have to first make sure our electrical grid is ready to receive those kinds of of, uh, of generations, right? So if we're going to have if we're going to have non-fossil, non-carbon generation, we have to make sure our electrical grid is ready to receive that. So our committee on technology and infrastructure, our committee on energy and manufacturing, are both looking at strategies this session to make sure that the generation capacity can actually get onto the power grid and that we can work as collaboratively as possible with the PJM grid. That's the that's the multi-state entity right, that actually right. operates our grid here. So that's the generation piece. Now the workforce piece is even more interesting to me because it, it, it ties together so many different pe people and groups working in Western well, in tandem. It, it kind of has to, to right? It, well, it absolutely has to. It ties together our colleges and universities. It brings together our community, our community and technical schools, and it brings together our trade unions, the men and women who are working in skilled crafts and skilled trades who, who are integral to the economic growth plan that we have here in our state. Internships, apprenticeships, those kinds of there things. There you go. So that, that's among the highest priorities we have for the session. It's making sure that our, our colleges and universities, particularly our community colleges and our two-year schools, are able to award uh, associate's degrees and certificates of completion for men and women who complete apprenticeships in the skilled trades here in West Virginia. We have a real absence or a real shortage of people who are able to, to do the kinds of things with their hands that 21st century job creators are expecting of West Virginia. We, we have to make sure we're, we're adequately resourcing up that segment of our workforce. Yeah, I've talked to a couple of apprentices at Blinko Glass. I mean, that they have a, a job, but it's an art form as well. And they say they have to, if they can get that two-year degree, it really helps their resume, it mm -hmm. helps their future, helps their family. Uh, so it's, it's not just a piece of paper. Well, it? no, it's not. And we, we want that to happen. We want them to be awarded that degree for, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's for their personal growth and their own their own career expansion opportunities. We we want to achieve that, but 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 there's there's a secondary component to that that's just as important, and that is that among the most damning statistics about West Virginia is that nationally we're we're often ranked near the bottom in the the post secondary educational attainment rate. I think that number is artificially low, Randy, because if you count the skilled tradesmen and women that hmm. we have here in the state and the 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 the, the skills that they bring to right. the workforce, they, they are in every way as qualified as a lot of people who've earned associate's degrees in other subjects that perhaps are less employable. So giving giving a, or creating an, an off-ramp or an exit ramp for those men and women to achieve associate's degrees is a priority for us. Okay, well, we'll get the people here, we'll get them to the jobs, 
We've got to get them child care and we've got to get them affordable housing. We do. I know you're looking at both of those uh, components as well. We are. We are. We began down that road of child care last session. So, you know, that was the number one ask of the West Virginia State Chamber of Commerce when we began the session in 2023. Right. The number one priority for our state's largest business advocacy organization was not tax cuts. It was not, it was not regulatory reform. It was child care. And we know why that's important. If people are going to come to work, they have to, they have to have a safe, affordable, reliable place to care for their children while they're away at the job site. So the program we put in place last year created a tax cut for businesses that right. stood up their own facility. So if, if Yoey Enterprises created its own child care facility on site or near, near your manufacturing plant, you are eligible for a tax cut for the cost of the facility, for the cost that you incur right. to create that facility. That, that is working and we, we know examples here of employers in the state that are taking advantage of that. But it turns out that you have to be a fairly sizable concern to be able to benefit from that to the fullest extent. So the scope needs to be broad. It does. And we want to make sure that entrepreneurs, small business owners, perhaps even collaborative uh, cooperatives, if you will, of small business owners can, can maybe even join together and take advantage of that same opportunity. So that, that is a big deal for us. And then there's affordable housing. What I've heard and seen a lot is that it's important to get rid of the dilapidated houses because that's the property where middle-income people can build new houses and live and work. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, sure it is. Uh, I, right, right. I, I live in such a community. I can give a first-hand example of that. So, so communities that have perhaps seen an, uh, a, a, an outward migration of, of a major employer, those those structures often are among the first to fall into dilapidation. They need to be torn down. They need to be removed, and they need to be made available for construction elsewhere. Um, so Democrats are advocating legalization of adult use of recreational cannabis. President Blair said it's an issue that may pass in the next two, three years. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's unlikely. Uh, I, I think we've we've taken a step towards medical cannabis in West Virginia, which is which is now law. I, I think to, to to broaden that beyond where we are in terms of medical use is is is, is, is unlikely. Near the, I guess, nearly half the states do have recreational marijuana. Twenty-three, if I'm so, not mistaken. Some do. I've, I, I've seen that number before. I don't know where it stands today. And, and why do you think that that's not unlikely? And why do you? Well, think it's for one, it's still a federal crime. So uh, a, a number of people, myself included, have just a little bit of philosophical trouble saying that that West saying to West Virginians, you are you are okay to go do that which we know to be federally unlawful. Uh, I, I have I just think there's a philosophical problem there, at least for me. Today was uh, EMS Day it here is. at the legislature, and we heard we saw a lot of your delegates get up and and say hello and thanks and welcome to their ESF, EMS representatives that came in from around the state in this in this horrible morning. Um, you've said that, that it's, little, it's important this legislative session to make sure that volunteer firefighters and EMS across the state are adequately funded. Um, we heard the governor mention, a, mm -hmm. a, I think, an earmark of $10 million, and that kind of goes along with the $10 million he put for the answer to the call program. I think you want to extend that. Well, we definitely, will, more than extend, we want to permit to make it permanent. Uh -huh. more, more than extend the number, what's, what's a priority to us is making sure that it's a it's a sustainable ongoing source of revenue for our volunteer fire departments and EMS providers in the state. We, we took a we took a step toward that this past summer when we were able to do a one-time infusion of ten million dollars right. to, to EMS 
uh, uh, to, to volunteer fire departments and, and affiliated right. EMS groups around the state. We've been exploring since that time solutions on how we, how we make a permanent infusion of cash every year. You and President Blair have had a couple of timely joint press conferences. Is that something we're going to see more of? Uh, as, as circumstances warrant, I mean, when we when we have announcements that benefit from both of us being there to speak simultaneously on issues, we're certainly willing to do it. You've said among the topics to be discussed this year is appropriate to make an investment in the infrastructure and the physical facilities of our state's health care providers. Hospitals, yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, do we talk about certain providers? And, and what's the plan? Well, so the governor proposed, as I understand it, in his State of the State address last Wednesday night, a, a, a $100 million right. allocation for the state's rural hospitals. Now, the, the use of the word rural is interesting there, because if you look at the federal definition of rural, Charleston, West Virginia is rural. Right. right? Every, oh, square, every, yes, square, yes, yes. every square inch of West Virginia qualifies under the federal definition of rural. I believe, I believe we are the only such state. Uh, I, I, I used to. I, I've seen that data in the past. In, in the past, we have been the only state to qualify as ever having every square inch constitute rural. <laughs> so, so uh, what's what's interesting to me, or what's what I'm what, what's driving my thinking on that is that while we are in an environment of budget surpluses, Randy, it's 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 worthwhile to think about how we improve and bolster the future for our infrastructure. So, last session, if you'll recall, we made a sizable investment in the physical infrastructure of our state's colleges and universities. Yes. $20 million a piece to each of the state's colleges and universities for purposes of doing maintenance and upgrades to physical facilities. Well, in a, in a similar vein, our hospitals fill the same kind of role, right? They're, they're large employers in the communities where they're situated. They provide an, an incredibly necessary service to West Virginians, and they're often easy to neglect. They're, they're easy to neglect, and as a consequence, for years we have neglected them. So I was pleased to see the governor make that announcement. I was happy he included that in his budget. It's something that I'm personally supportive of. Well, we went through a lot of topics there. We went from technology to people to uh, economic development. Uh, good luck to you on, on putting all those things together and, and getting them through this, this general session. We'll do our best. 54 days to go. All right. And, and there you are with, with the Speaker of the House, Roger Hanshaw. And thank you for spending this time with us. We will be back tomorrow and every weeknight at 6 p.m. with the legislature today. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia Channel. I'm Randy Yoey. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us, and have a good evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.